announcements that we have for this week. There's going to be a new ladies' Bible study. We'll have more details on that in weeks to follow. Uh, the worship night, which is taking place this evening, we want all parents to know with, with, uh, with, that there's child care provided for that. So if you have a young child and you thought, well, I can't come because I have two or three young children that I have to look after, that's going to be provided this week. So, and, and ongoing as well, as far as I understand. So please understand that's there. And we want to encourage everybody to come out uh, in our worship and prayer night. Uh, Fine Arts Family Night. We, we have some talented children in our church, folks, if you haven't been around to see some of the fine art ministries that take place, it is exciting. And Pastor Raymond is working closely with that, as well as Pastor Nathan. And so March uh, the 6th, from 5 to 7, we're going to allow our children in our church to just uh, demonstrate what God's gifts are in their lives. And so we invite not only those people with kids, but also all the churches welcome, all, anybody a part of the church family. You'll be amazed at what you see uh, that God has done in their lives. Uh, there's going to be a startup training for Foundations in Jesus, uh, and that'll take place on February 26th, which is a week from this Saturday. Oh, no, it's this Saturday coming up, excuse me. Uh, and we have a sign-up uh, in the back for that, so please go back and sign that up. Roger Heidman will be back there to talk and field any questions that you might have. Uh, so please sign up for that. Uh, next Sunday, friends, we're going to we're going to bring a new element into our church service. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a microphone, this microphone, it's going to be in this location right here. We're going to have different pastors in our church sit with that microphone. And the reason we have that there is because we're going to encourage, we, we love prophetic words. We love, we're a Pentecostal church. And we love the gifts of the Spirit. But we just felt as a pastoral team that we needed to provide a few things that would be helpful. And one of them is a microphone so that the word can be heard clearly by everybody in the church. Uh, if you're soft-spoken like me, I could yell, and not everybody's going to get what I say. You have to have a microphone. We want to make sure it's clear. And then uh, we want to make sure that the timing is right and, and good at that point. What will happen is we're going to ask you to come down, 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 not down the middle, but not across here, but go down that aisle right there. Come sit with the pastor that's there. Share briefly what, what you sense God is wanting to say. You don't have to share details. Sometimes the word gets more detailed as it goes. Uh, but just, uh, just a general thing of what you feel God wants to say. Our worship team will be watching uh, when, when that's leading it. And at the proper moment, we'll bring that word forward. And if you have any questions about that, just talk with one of the pastors. We're not trying to control it. We just want to pastor it and make sure that the word is coming out effectively to our church. Okay. We... Uh, We've been rotating our pastors and preaching, and today it's going to be Pastor Raymond. And we are so thankful for Pastor Raymond and Sadie. <laughs> um, they pastor our youth and our young people well. Uh, you can see it in the growth of our kids, uh, the spirituality that they walk in and how they're growing. Not an easy task. I was a youth pastor once. I understand it a long time ago. But... Uh, Anyways, they've got a great family, some four adorable, adorable kids. The youngest one had his first birthday this yesterday. We celebrated that. And Cooper's got a unique way of eating cake. If you'd like to see that, I think Sadie's got a, taped, taped it on a video. But uh, God is really using this couple. They are not just ministering to our church. They really minister to our district. And God uses them in district leadership. Uh, Raymond has preached in, in uh, youth settings. Uh, they overlook our youth camp. 
camps. They, they, they were involved in the leadership team there at family camp. They have, uh, last few uh, years, they've taken over the leadership of, of the youth ministries that take place at family camp. So they are being used by God, not just with us, but with throughout our district, and they are just great folks. I appreciate Pastor Raymond and his wisdom at a young age. These guys are young, uh, not to the, our teenagers, but to the rest of us that, that are older. And I'm just amazed at the wisdom and, and, and the maturity of this couple. But Raymond's also a very good communicator, and he's coming to bring the word of God to us. So, Raymond, good to have you with us, brother. Appreciate you. Well, I appreciate those uh, kind words, Pastor Bob. Uh, as Pastor Bob said, I'm the youth and young adults pastor here. So I figured as far as preaching goes and time-wise, I just need to be somewhere between Pastor Nate, our kids' pastor, and Pastor Bob, our most uh, experienced pastor. So I just got to <laughs> land the plane somewhere right in there time-wise and I'll be okay. Uh, but good morning, church. Glad to be up here sharing uh, as we walk through Ephesians. Before I jump in, I do want to mention... Uh, the office staff would not be happy if I forgot this. We do have a table out in the foyer of stuff that has been left. Um, it's a lost and found table. So this is what we're going to do. The first like 10 minutes that it's out there, if you think you lost something, go look for it. And then after that, it's just free game. If you need a new Bible, if you need a new cup, uh, if you need a new book, it's out there, okay. So go grab it. Uh, but if you feel like you've left something here recently or not so recently, go look at that table it might be out there, okay? Before I get into my sermon, I do want to just say yesterday we did have uh, the birthday party for Cooper, our youngest. But yesterday was also six months of my father passing. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a milestone. But I feel, I feel like, you know, the, the Bible talks about how God works together the good of, uh, of those he loves. And within the last six or seven months, we've had so many students within our youth ministry, young adults who have lost parents. As recently as last end of last November, we had a young adult that lost a father. Um, students that have lost grandparents. And I truly believe that the Lord has used this time of my father passing for me to be able uh, to empathize with those who have also lost family members, parents, grandparents. So I just want to encourage you. Um, whatever situation you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, the Lord can use that to minister. The Lord can use that for good. So just be encouraged with that, church. So this morning we're going to keep going, Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to open there in your Bible. Before I jump into reading uh, in Ephesians 3, I do want to do a, just a kind of a quick recap maybe um, before I, I start reading it. The book of Ephesians was a letter written to the, the believers in Ephesus that Paul wrote, wrote to the believers there. Um, and it was also a letter to be shared with the surrounding areas, um, the surrounding believers, not only in Ephesus, but around. And if you look at Ephesus, I'm not going to go into super detail because I think Pastor Pierre did a really good job the first week kind of setting up the historical background of the book. But if you really look at Ephesus, it was like a modern, it would have been like a modern day New York City um, or like a, a Tokyo or Paris. Like Ephesus was a booming city. It was a, a metropolitan, it was a big area. You had stuff coming in from the east. All the trade that would come in from the east, from Asia, would come through Ephesus. Then you had um, really a, a big group of traditional Jews that were there holding to Jew Jewish traditions. So the believers in Ephesus were really kind of getting hit from both sides. Uh, in, in youth, in January, we went through the book of Colossians. 
uh, in the city of Colossae, which was about 100 miles inland from Ephesus, really felt a lot of the same pressure that the people in Ephesus felt as well because they were on the trade line that would come right through the cities. So you have these believers uh, in Ephesus trying to live out the word of God, trying to live out and be disciples of Jesus, but they're getting hit with this Eastern mysticism thought, these, these different thoughts of, uh, of ways to heaven, of ways to God, multiple gods, and also traditional Jews who are saying, no, you need to do it this way. You need to live by the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to do this. So it really gives you a better context of what Paul is writing. It gives you a better understanding of what Paul is trying to convey to the people in Ephesus. A lot of outside influences. And really if you look at the letter that Paul writes to the, the believers, it can really be broken into kind of two thought patterns. The first three chapters really focuses on who we are in Christ. And I know this is kind of review if you've been here every week that we've went through Ephesus, but maybe you haven't. But the first three chapters really are who we are in Christ. And then next week, Pastor Chuck gets to take over and shift it to what, how we walk in Christ. Because you got to understand, church, before we can walk in Christ, we have to understand who we are in Christ. We have to understand our identity in Christ. So today, I get to wrap up kind of that first thought pattern of Paul's letter, which is chapter 3. It's really interesting. At the beginning of chapter 3, the words that Paul uses, he says, for this reason. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Kind of a, a standard opening verse or two. But then there's this hyphen, and he goes kind of on this 12-verse rabbit trail. Have you ever been talking to someone and you start the conversation and about two minutes in you're like switch the conversation over to something you didn't intend to start with? That's kind of what happens here with Paul. I was going to say have you ever preached a sermon and done that, but and maybe you have. It's pretty common for preachers that we, we start with one thing and then we go down a, a rabbit trail. In the south, because I'm from Alabama, you know, you go to Sunday night service and those were the services that would last a long time. Um, and so... For me, because I would go to the AG church on Sunday nights, but on Monday or Sunday mornings, I go with my dad to the Methodist church, and they were very, at an hour, they were done. It was the same thing every week, kind of. They had a pattern. And so then I would go to the AG church, and the first 30 minutes is kind of what Paul is doing in, in chapter 3. It had nothing to do with his sermon, and he would say, that's just the free stuff. And now here's my sermon. Right? So that's kind of what Paul does here. He kind of, he says, for this reason, and then he goes on this 12-verse kind of rabbit trail, but it's a purposeful rabbit trail, right? Paul's just not writing meaningless info because we believe that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is I really want to focus on the prayer, which is uh, verses 14 and on, but I do want to take a couple points out of the first uh, 13 verses because, again, I don't want to overlook it. I don't want to shove it off to the side because it's purposeful. It's useful. It's God's word. So real quick, let's read Ephesians Chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. This isn't on the screen, so you're going to have to follow along, uh, follow along in your own Bible. If you have it with you, if it's on your phone, if it's on your iPad, Mr. Denny. I went up to Mr. Denny, though, he's got his iPad ready to go. I love it because that's how I am. Me and Mr. Denny connect because I love having my iPad ready to go. So here we go. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And now here's kind of the rabbit trail. Assuming... You have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you. 
The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles, and this is the mystery, the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Isn't it interesting that Paul says that the gift of God's grace was that he was made a servant to it, to the gospel. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heaven. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are for glory. So this mystery that Paul is referring to as he reads, because he says, this was not made, he says, by reading this, you're able to understand my insight into this mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is revealed to his holy apostles. Ephesians 3, verse 6, this is the mystery. And this is a little bit of a review, but I think it's important. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Here's the first thing we can take from this. We are partners in the promise. Ephesians 2, verse 12 through 13 in the New American Standard Bible says this, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of, of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is talking to the Gentiles, us, non-Jews, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We are partners in the promise that is the gospel of Jesus. We are now co-heirs that we can be a part of the gospel, the promise that is Christ Jesus, salvation that has now come to us, that we can have salvation, we can now have eternity. Through Christ Jesus. Paul multiple times in the first three chapters of Ephesians refers to this mystery. Because again, understand the believers in Ephesus are getting hit from this Eastern mysticism thought of how do you get to heaven? What are ways to heaven? And Paul is saying, listen, you are partners in the promise. God is the way. Jesus is the way to heaven. The Son of God is the way to heaven. So church, we have to understand. Before we can ever walk out Christ, we have to understand who we are in Christ, that we are partners in the promise. You are partners in the promise. That once we were far off, we were separate from Christ, but now, through the blood of Jesus, through what he did on the cross, we have been brought near to him. Ephesians 3, 8-9 says this, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. 
and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. The second thing we can take is this, our view of ourselves in Christ matters. Now let me preface this. Sometimes a preface can be good, sometimes it can be not so good, so we'll see how this one goes over. You have to hear out the whole thought in this. This, this point and maybe another point I'm going to say may come across maybe a little harsh, and I don't mean it that way. I mean it in love. But as you watch Paul's writing, you read Paul's writing, Paul didn't pull punches when he would write. Paul was very straightforward. He was very truth and grace. But one thing Paul, I think, understood was his place in Christ. As Christians, we like to use quick phrases when we're talking to people or when we're we like to say, well, I can do all things, or I am more than a conqueror, right? And we kind of cut it off there. And we use these phrases almost to kind of prop ourselves up. But the same man who wrote those phrases, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, also consistently reminds us of our place in Christ. He says, I am the least of all the saints. Multiple times in different letters that he writes to different church. Paul says, I am the least of all the saints. Philippians 3 says this. This is the chapter right before Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 9. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. We have to understand, yes, the verses of I can do all things through Christ Jesus who is in me. I am more than a conqueror through Christ. We have to understand that it's a denial of self that allows us to be conquerors through Jesus. It's a denial of self and self-want and self-desires that allows us to do all things. And Paul knows this. He says, I'm a least of all the saints. I'm not sitting, sitting here saying you need to wake up in the morning and tell yourself how bad of a person you are. What we need to do is wake up in the morning and say, God, help me deny self today. Help me not live in self. Matthew 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I watched a video not too long ago. Uh, this guy goes around to different churches. I had sent it to a friend. Guy goes around to churches, different churches, different denominations, and he sits down and he he says, hey, tell me about who you are. He went to the Assemblies of God headquarters to meet with Doug Clay, our superintendent of, of the AG USA. And he had this interview. And in the interview, he asked questions about the Holy Spirit and different things. And, 
you know, uh, Pastor Doug Clay, he said, we're Pentecostal, we're not ashamed of that. But he said, as the superintendent of the Assemblies of God, it is my hope and my desire that as a denomination, we get back to the very word of God. Because as Charismatics and Pentecostals, we can tend to swing to just experience and away from the truth. The truth, the Bible says, Paul says, I am the least of all the saints. But it's when I become the least that God can be more. It's when I become the least that I can be a conqueror through Christ Jesus. All right, now let's get into the prayer. Verse 14, it's like Paul kind of, again, goes on this rabbit trail, and now he gets back into the prayer. Verse 14, this is what he says. For this reason, again, it's the same words he used in verse 1. It gets back on track. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all things, with all the saints, what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and amen. So I think there's four takeaways that I really want to talk about that I think we can get from Paul's prayer to the church. And at the end, what I'm going to do is at the end I'm going to have Pastor James come up and I'm going to pray this prayer over you. Because I think it's an important prayer that, that Paul writes, he pens, he prays for the church. There's so many times at the beginning of Paul's letters, he, he says, I, I urgently pray for you. Church, I pray for you. And so Paul prayed for the believers. First thing is this, Ephesians 3, 16 through 17. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The first thing, Paul prays for strength for the church. Paul prays for strength for the church. Again, understanding the context of what the church of Ephesus was going through. I tell our students all the time in youth, context is important. Understanding what these believers were walking through, understanding the context, the historical context, the geographical context, all of that is important to understand the letter. This church was getting influenced, the believers were getting influenced, so Paul prays for strength for the church. Paul understands that it's only through the Holy Spirit power that Jesus said would come when he left that we can be strengthened and live as disciples of Jesus. Remember, when Jesus was to go away, he said, I'm going to send you my spirit. I'm going to send you a helper, one that can strengthen you, one that can empower you, one that can encourage you. Sadly, I wonder, and obviously this is hypothetical, if God came and took his Holy Spirit from us, how many Christians would keep living the same lives as they're living now and never know the difference? 
if God came, again, hypothetical, if God came and took his spirit, that Holy Spirit that's the dwelling within us, that strengthened us and empower us, if God came and took that, how many Christians would continue to live their lives because they're not walking, they're not living in the power of the Holy Spirit? I think many of us would be like Samson in the Old Testament who the Bible says did not know that the Lord had left him. God help us if we get to the place where we don't know that the Lord has left us because we're not intentionally every day walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. That we're not intentionally every day reading the word of God, praying and having communication with the Father through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that renews our mind daily. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us when we've sinned and missed the mark. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to walk as disciples of Jesus being transformed. We're not meant to look like the world. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to look like Jesus. Every day a process of sanctification is happening. Every day we're looking a little bit more like Jesus. Every day we're walking a little bit more like Jesus if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to do its work in our life, if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to transform and renew our minds, if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us. And Paul prayed that the church would be strengthened with the power in your inner being through his spirit. I think it's interesting. I didn't have this in my notes, but it's interesting. The, the commentary I read, it says, according to the riches of his glory. It's not from his riches, but according to the riches. The commentator Warren Wiersbe said it would be like if a billionaire came to you and said, here's $100. He's giving, he's giving you from his riches. He's giving you $100. But if that billionaire came to you and said, here's a million dollars, he's giving according to the riches. God gives according to the riches the spirit that you need to live out in life. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get a million dollars, so don't hear that. What I'm, I'm not saying that. But we, the church, need to be strengthened. How much more in this time as we wait, as we pray for the next lead pastor of this church, the next shepherd of this church, do we need to pray, Holy Spirit, strengthen us. Holy Spirit, unite us. Verse 17 through 19, Paul continues, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Second thing, Paul prays the church will comprehend and know God's love. Before we can comprehend, we must be rooted. Listen to his words again. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, then may be able to comprehend with all the saints the love of God. That word rooted, if you, if you look at it in its original language, it gives off this meaning, this definition, this picture of receiving nourishment and life. 
Think about the roots of a plant. They go deep into the soil. It's through the soil and through the watering and through the sun that the roots get nourishment and takes that for the plant to grow. That's the word that is used here that Paul uses. That we might find nourishment and life. Before we can truly grow and comprehend the fullness of God's love, we must receive the love of God. Before we can truly know or comprehend the love of God, we must find our life and our nourishment being rooted and established. We must be rooted and established in the love of God. We must find our life and our nourishment from the love of God. Romans 5, 5 through 8 says this. Paul says this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Some of you know that as while we were still sinners, Christ died. For rarely will someone die for just a person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before this verse, in the first few verses of chapter 5 of Romans, Paul's telling the, Romans, the Roman believers that it's faith that, that perseveres. It's faith and obedience that perseveres through trials and it produces hope. Would you agree with that? That it's faith, it's obedience to the Lord that perseveres. And that perseverance, he said, leads to hope. And what is that hope? That hope that will not disappoint it's the love of God that was poured out through his Holy Spirit into our hearts. That while we were still far off, that while we were still sinners, that while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for us. Our hope comes from being rooted and firmly established in the love of God. Even the word firmly established, the idea of firmly established is not something that can be pulled up. Firmly established... If, Listen, in the south, we would have these weeds that would grow, these sticker bushes. They'd grow blackberries. I don't know if they have them in Michigan. But you try to pull that thing up, and you'd end 10 feet over here with the root way over there. It's firmly established in the ground. It's not easily pulled up. Our hope is that we are firmly established in the love of God, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 7 through 10 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, because, God, because love is from God. And everyone who, who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Listen to this. Love consists of this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. To be firmly established, to be rooted in God's love means understanding that his son was sent, that Jesus was sent for the atoning sacrifices of our sins. 
once we are rooted and firmly established in that, then God begins to help us understand and comprehend the vastness of his love. What, is the, what did Paul say? What is the length, the width, the height, and depth of God's love? And to know Christ's love that surpasses. Once we can be firmly established, once we accept God's love into our life, then we begin to know and understand. And then Paul says, so that you may be filled with all fullness of God. What did John 10.10 say? The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give life and life to the full. Can I tell you that fullness isn't material possessions, that fullness is a spiritual fullness in who Christ Jesus is. It's a spiritual fullness of him living in us, the Holy Spirit within us, helping us every day to be disciples of him. Not only be disciples, but then to go and share the love of Jesus. So when we begin to be firmly established, rooted in love, we begin to comprehend it, and then we begin to be filled with the fullness of God. Verse 20 through 21 says this. And this is probably a verse that many of you are going to know. Because this, is again, is a verse we like to quote. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The New American Standard Bible says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do abundantly more through his spirit within us. Again, this is kind of another Christianese verse that we like to throw out, but we don't like to use the whole verse. We like to just say, God is able to do abundantly more. And yes, he is. But scripture says, Paul says, he's able to do it through the power that works in us. That word power, and I'm sure you've heard this. I know Pastor Brooks was big on giving Greek words. That word power is dunamis. So where we get for dynamite, an explosive power. But that word for works, the power that works in us is energia. It's a word we get for energy, right? But that specific word, energia, is not a passive energy. That word reflects a moving energy, a working energy, an active energy. So Paul is saying that he's able to do abundantly more than we ask or think through the dynamite, the dunamis power that is active in us. That is coming back, Paul comes back to it again, that is the spirit. Ephesians 2.10, and one of the pastors preached on this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Once we understand and are firmly established in the love of God, that's when we begin to work. That's when the Holy Spirit begins to use us to do good works. Not passive. 
right? Not passive. It is energia. It is active energy. It is active power in our life. As Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we should be making a difference in the world. When it says he is able to do abundantly more than all we ask, are we asking the right questions? Are we asking God, bless me, or are we asking God, help me bless others? Are we asking God, can you do this for me, or God, can you use me to do this for others? As Christians, we need to have a paradigm shift from self to eternity. God, are you able to do abundantly more than all I ask? God, I am asking that you would help me go and make disciples. God, I am asking that you help me go and preach the truth. God, I am asking that you help me go to the broken and the lost. That some might be saved. Are we asking the right questions? When it says he's able to do abundantly more than all we ask or think. It's an active power. But church, are we activated in it? Are we living that out as disciples of Jesus? And then Paul ends the verse after he says that he's able to do abundantly more than all we ask according to the power that works within us. He says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. It's all for the glory of God. It is all for the glory of God. Everything we do as Christians should be for the glory of God. I'm going to have Pastor James go ahead and come on up and play the piano. But it is all for the glory of God. Paul is intentional after he walks through who we are as Christ. Before he makes the switch to how we walk in Christ, he says, listen, all of this is for the glory of God. You being saved is for the glory of God. That someone else, that you might take the gospel to someone else who might be saved for the glory of God. What we ask that he might do within us is all for the glory of God. It is not for the glory of self. It is not so that I can boast. Again, Paul says that. This is not so that I might boast, but that I might boast in him. That we as Christians might not boast in what I've done. Or did you see that I did this? But that we might say, did you see what God has done? Did you see what God has done? Because it is for the glory, it is for him that we do this. I'm going to have everybody close your eyes and bow your heads. We are a part of God's promise co-heirs in the promise that is Christ Jesus. Once it was hidden from the Gentiles and now it is here. It is here for us. The promise that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that we might be saved, that we might find salvation and eternity through him and him alone that we might find life in him and him alone. We find life and purpose from nothing except Jesus. 
So if you're in this place, if you're in this church, and you've never walked into the promise of God, you've never stepped into that promise, you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but today you want to. You want to become a co-heir in the promise that is Christ Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. begins to pray this prayer over the church. He begins to pray that the Holy Spirit would empower the believers. He prays that the believers would comprehend God's love. And church, I want to pray that over you right now. Because as believers, we need to be strengthened. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not for our own good, but for the purpose of the gospel. God, I just come to you right now, Lord, and I pray over this body. God, I pray over this church. We are the church. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit power would strengthen the church. As the world around us may grow darker, it may grow dim, just as your word says, Lord, I pray that the church would be strengthened through your Holy Spirit that is within us. Lord, that we would look like the church. God, and I pray that the church would begin to comprehend that we would be firmly established and rooted in your love that we would find life and fullness through you and you alone. So, Lord, that you would pour your love out on, on this congregation. They would be firmly established, finding life and nourishment in you and you alone. Because you are love, God. And, Lord, I pray... And we come to you this morning and we do ask because your word says you are able to do abundantly more than all we ask. God, we ask right now that we would be true disciples of you. That we would deny self every single day. As hard as that may seem, you are able to do abundantly more. That we would deny self every day and take your truth to those around us to take your gospel to those around us. And Lord, we pray that this is all for your glory. It is not that we might boast, but that we boast in you and you alone, Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. It is you we give the glory for. So Lord, we thank you. We love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I just encourage you? I know no one raised their hand for, for salvation. But can I encourage you, if you were in your seat, maybe a little nervous to raise your hand. 
we have a, a new um, ministry that's starting up in our church where we want to come alongside new believers. We want to walk with you, encourage you, strengthen you. So if that's you this morning, you said, I didn't raise my hand, but you know what? I, I, I want to make that decision to follow Jesus. If you'll just go to our information center right out in our foyer, right back through these doors and see the ladies at the information desk. They have a packet they want to give you. That packet has a book about new believers. It's got a letter from Pastor Bob in it. And it just it's going to help you walk through that. What does it mean to be a new believer? What does it mean to give your life to Jesus? And then we want to connect you with someone that is going to help you walk this process out. Because being a believer, being a disciple of Jesus is an everyday walk with him. It's not a one-time prayer and a one-time decision. It is an everyday walk with Jesus. Amen, church. Amen, church. Well, I'm not going to say have a Jesus-filled week. That was Pastor Brooks' thing. But, church, can we not just be a a Bible-believing church, but can we be a Bible-living church? Let's live out the word of God this week. Amen. Amen. I hope you have a great week.